Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Dr. Lori Grover, a member of the AOA Board of Trustees and a visiting scientist at Southern College of Optometry. Also joining us is Dr. Melissa Zaleski. Dr. Zaleski graduated from NOVA in 2018 and later that summer earned her Master's of Public Health. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Marjolyn. Today we're going to talk about how ODs can stay connected with their professional communities, their academic communities. Um, when you were in school, Dr. Zaleski, organizations brought programs to students. I mean, it was all about getting you involved. And it's a little bit like pulling the plug once you graduate. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a very good example of what it feels like. You know, as you mentioned, you're swallowed in this environment in school, which is fantastic. There's a hundred things going on. Everyone's doing the same thing. And then as soon as you graduate, you head to a new place or a new state or back home, wherever, whatever it may be. And sometimes it's difficult to find your footing, not necessarily in your job, but the surrounding atmosphere and your profession outside of the office. So that's something I, I knew that it would be really helpful, if not um, enlightening, to have someone who's extremely involved, like Dr. Grover, um, just give an idea of where to go and best practices and best advice to keep everyone involved right outside of school. It's a, it's a challenge. I think, I don't care how, what year you graduated. I think it's a challenge. Um, you hit that door with your degree and people scatter to the wind. And one of the things, and I'll speak from personal experience that has been in my life, my professional and my personal and my local, if you will, life since uh, the day I was out of school was my state association um, affiliate with the American Optometric Association. So no kidding. I mean, you're a member, you start your first year in school, and that membership is so critical in so many ways, but you don't really realize the importance of it, I think, until you look back five or even 10 years out of school and see what a connector it truly is. I was fortunate to have joined a private practice when I graduated from Chicago, moving back to Michigan, was married. We moved to Detroit all within the span of a month, and I wasn't from that area, so I knew nobody locally. Uh, my relatives were a couple of hours away. Um, the practice that I joined was a father-daughter, and uh, the woman was the senior partner. She was a little little older than I was, and um, they were both incredibly active within their state association. So from day one, uh, I was informed of and invited to attend our local affiliate meetings, the state meetings. I was asked if I wanted to be involved in a committee, a state committee, and help with what we have in Michigan are called High Vision Games, which was a uh, collaborative um, event for 
kids that had vision impairment that was run on an annual basis supported by the Michigan Optometric Association. So I was immersed directly into that environment through my practice, through what I was doing professionally. Um, the, The tougher part was building, I think, those community relationships and my involvement through the MOA and the local society and the practices that I knew and the people that I started referring back and forth with um, helped me to kind of gain that local foothold of who my colleagues were in the immediate area. Um, that, I think, is another layer where your, um, your state AOA affiliate can be really helpful. But it's also you having to take the initiative to reach out and get involved with um, goings on, whether it be a sponsored dinner event, to just go out and shake a few hands, introduce yourself, and not be uncomfortable um, announcing yourself to the community. Um, So I I think there's a little bit that goes both ways. For me personally, I'm looking at getting involved in volunteering with the Red Cross. Um, It was a big organization I was involved in with college. I taught CPR classes. I, I mean, I just loved the blood drives and the college clubs and things like that. Um, but what are your thoughts on on just direct community involvement and how that can, you know, develop your career as an optometrist? I think it's really important that uh, you can find community engagement opportunities, for lack of a better word. I, I think that there's a symbiotic relationship, and I, I can speak to this from when I we moved to Ohio from Michigan, and that's when I decided to open my own practice cold. And what was important to me there was not only engaging in the optometric community, was, but it was also that how do I get that community engagement to help build my practice? And it was, a, it was a, again, a, a, a very symbiotic thing. So we had Lions Club that I was involved in. Um, we had um, volunteer activities through my daughter's daycare and school. Uh, I got engaged with the Agency on Aging uh, to see if I could give seminars if I could come in and do evening informational activities for um, the clients that they served and their stakeholders. Again, knowing that this would help to develop my practice, but also to kind of help spread advocacy and awareness of what's important to eye health and what you can do to help you and your family and those around you see better and have better health. Um, I know you appreciate that from the public health side. So mm-hmm. um, there's really nothing that you do in the community that doesn't go hand in hand with you being a health professional in that community. And people know you, they see your name, um, they'll ask what you do, but you can actively, proactively go out and find those opportunities. So um, yeah. Offering to speak at a local zone meeting, if you have zones or um, uh, uh, local affiliates for your for your optometric groups. Uh, back then, there were no academy groups. Now there are state academy chapters. That's another opportunity, maybe professionally, to get involved. But I think that the most um, diverse and the largest number of uh, opportunities professionally are going to come through what the states have established with the AOA. And I would also 
I would also suggest to the younger docs that they don't ignore the fact that if there's something they want to do within their state affiliate that isn't necessarily provided locally, that they act to get involved, that they offer their services, that they engage the leadership in the state to say, hey, I would really love to do A, B, C, and D. Number one, do you have these programs? Number two, if you don't, can I help set them up? And and to me, that was a really fortuitous way to get engaged early on at a state level, which then gets you involved with a, with a, another level of um, whether it be a government or healthcare or um, other agency-based opportunities that get you just out of your local zone and, and get you a little bit more state and regionally focused. Are organizations looking for that? What's your experience? Well, um, I, I guess my experience personally is I've never had a doubt in my clinical capabilities. I've never really felt that I wasn't able to deliver on what I said I could do from a clinical care perspective. I think I experienced more of those episodes of imposter syndrome and, wow, what am I doing here? I don't belong with these great people. When I got out of that comfort zone of clinical care and and started to spread my wings into those areas that I wasn't as familiar with. So if I could go back and give advice to the younger me and, and to um, our emerging doctors, it's never doubt your capabilities, never doubt that what you offer is valuable because and to your point, Marjolyn, I think people look for that. They want people who who can bring to the table something exciting. It doesn't mean you'll know all the protocol. It doesn't mean that you won't step on a few toes or maybe say something that isn't perfect. That happens, that still happens today to everybody. But I wouldn't want anyone to feel that that would keep them down from from wanting to move forward. And especially women, I think we women have to make sure that we don't wait until we feel we're 100% qualified to then go ahead and offer because men don't do that. <laughs> Research shows <laughs> that guys don't wait to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to go for this job or I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask to do this particular um, objective. Uh, they go for it. They've been, I think there's a lot of evidence that shows why they've been conditioned to do that. We women don't have that same level of, uh, of outreach earlier on. So that would be um, my personal advice would be go for it. It'll be exciting. It'll be a little nerve wracking. It might be a little anxious um, or anxiety inducing, if you will. But once your feet are wet and once you get comfortable with the group or the entity or the folks that are there um, and you carry that confidence that all of us have when we get out of school about what we like to do. I mean, we still grow as optometrists every day, but you're still a doctor when you graduate and you know what you're talking about. And um, if you're, if you, if you don't think you're comfortable, go do the research and find out what other people are saying and and use that information to augment what you have. But uh, I think that's a really important concept for women. Does that resonate with you, Dr. Zaleski? Yeah. um, As far as going and, and, you know, not being afraid, um, I think part of it is having confidence in yourself to know that, um, you know, you're, you're not just doing this for yourself either. You're doing it for the betterment of your profession. You're doing it for the betterment of your community. You know, you're doing this 
you know, for the main reasons why you became an optometrist to give back and to do everything you could to help your patients and um, those who really need vision care in general, whether it's, like you said, volunteering or whether it's starting a new initiative in your state. And I'm very inspired, by the way. I'm trying to think of, you know, what initiative do we need? <laughs> oh, good. It's interesting you, that you said that because I know in some of the uh, studies on negotiation, uh, they find that women negotiate better when they think of other people that they're negotiating for. Dr. Grover, hearing Dr. Zaleski talk, you have some ideas for her. Well, I do. I will tell you that in the last um, four to five years, one of the personal observations that I've been able to make is that we have, as as a profession, a real opportunity to engage with what some would call non-traditional um, collaborators. And I think one of those areas that's ripe for us, and I'm glad that Melissa and I both have a background in public health, is working with public health professionals. Um, the, the thing that brought it to the head for me was our NASM report from 2016, which really talked about the need for what public health professionals um, want and what they know, and what, but more importantly, what they don't know. And I think sometimes we can get really so engaged with ophthalmology and medicine that we may not put some of these other folks first and foremost. Um, I've had some engagement with states like Kansas and Nebraska and a few other states where they've developed these really important, wonderful foundational relationships. And I think we have an opportunity to take it to the next level. And I think using a few states, trying to come up with a pilot uh, of best practices and how we would engage these folks and get um, optometry to kind of be the point person and represent, as we are, the experts in preventive and primary care, as well as secondary and tertiary care in a lot of ways, but especially preventive and primary care to help raise the awareness of what we do, which in turn helps optometry, but it meets everybody's objective of improving population health. So that's one thought that I've kind of been uh, mulling on and, and kind of crafting in the back of my mind, and I think the time might be right for us to bring that forward. I think it's important too what you said about, um, you know, obviously everyone's vision is important, but focusing on children's vision is huge because, you know, not only are you helping the child, you're helping their future and their future generations, you're helping their mother, their father, their family, you know, that inquisitive state and learning more at a young age, you know, that's how all the big companies do it, you know, you've Obviously, I, I think of Disney because I am slightly obsessed, but, you know, you start loving these things at a young age, you start learning about them, you start understanding, and you foster this appreciation for them as you grow older. And, you know, growing up thinking, oh, of course, I'm going to the eye doctor every year. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's the precedent that should be set. Um, so I think that's a really important, you know, demographic to, to target and to educate and to help. You know, it's really interesting you bring that up because I was just thinking yesterday or the day before I was looking at uh, Twitter and I, I thought to myself, I don't recall in the last 25 years there being so much focused awareness and effort and prioritization giving to trying to help increase the nation's awareness 
of primary eye care as a parallel to a visit with the family doctor or the pediatrician for your general physicals and general medical care and um, and dentistry. I mean, we take it for granted, even when I graduated years ago, um, that everybody knew what we did and they didn't. And I think things like Think About Your Eyes, which truly is a wonderful adjunct um, in increasing uh, people's awareness in a public health way um, of the value of their eyes and their visual system, have they've all kind of merged. These streams are all finally merging. And I think that it, it takes a long time to get people to change behaviors and change attitudes, but it's, it's happening. And um, that, I think, is a, is a wonderful thing that you as a younger grad um, can help move forward in a much more accelerated fashion. One of the things that I thought was interesting, Dr. Grover, is that you said that no matter where you are in the community, people will get to know you as a doctor. And Dr. Zaleski, you know, um, you had mentioned you were recently engaged, and congratulations on that. You have a, a puppy. You have a job. Um, <laughs> it's hard to get out. <laughs> it's hard to get out and do things for yourself you know, or to, to even advance the career? What's, what's sort of your strategy there? That's a great question. Um, it is, it is difficult, you know, moving and starting a new job and new families or whatever, whatever your circumstances may be. Um, and I think there was even a point where I myself was closing myself off thinking, oh, I have, you know, I can't leave the house. I've got this puppy. I create them all day, things like that. And you kind of have to realize at a certain point, you're taking too much from yourself. And by giving yourself back into what you love and what you do, you have to find time for that. I mean, you have to do the things that you love to be able to function, you know, and I'm, I'm very guilty of thinking I was too busy, especially in the past month, but you got to find yourself, you know, or else you'll just kind of start fading away into this exhausted state and you won't enjoy what you're doing. And you bring up that that's such a great lead in into thinking about clinician burnout, which is finally becoming an important concept in healthcare. Um, I remember someone telling me that if I was going to take care of people with vision impairment, that I needed to be careful because in 10 years I'd be burned out. And it was, it was funny that that was kind of an accepted thing. And uh, yeah, there was a measure of that, I think around that time, but uh, your point is so well taken about doing important things for you. Um, one of the things I found in Ohio was we, a good friend of mine had started a, um, uh, it was a women's golf league. It was professional women's golf league. And we just started this small group and within three years ended up being 200 women uh, for about three months, starting in April, May, April, May, and June. We would take off our Tuesday afternoons. If you were beginner golf, you went and you learned how to golf. If you played golf, you went and signed up and played a nine-hole round before it got dark, if you were lucky. And uh, that was a weekly thing built into my schedule. If I hadn't built it into the schedule, I would have never done it. And it was more therapeutic than just about anything else. Um, those types of things, uh, you know, there's I – don't, I don't know if there truly is this ideal – balance. There's a concept of balance, but I don't really know what it is. I think it ebbs and flows when you're busy. Um, 
if and when uh, there are kids involved, if if there's illness in the practice or there's other things going on that require your time, we tend to we tend to morph and and make make it work. I mean, we women are pretty good at doing that. Um, but but finding what outlets you have to kind of disassociate yourself from the professional world is is really important. So I'm glad you brought that up. So it sounds like we covered some strategies for not only um, expanding your profile in the community, but also doing the self-care that you need to to give you the energy to be able to do that. (laughs) One thing that I think would be wonderful is for any any younger folks, newer grads, to um, make sure that they visit the AOA webpage um, and look at the United Impossibilities and the new graduate initiatives that we have going on. To your point about there being such a change when you first get out of school, um, that's a, a real formative time. That first five years that you're out of school is really critical, not only to the AOA, because we look at it as a making sure that we continue your membership, um, and keep you in the fold as it were. But, uh, we've noticed that, that, that critical time helps keep you engaged and kind of gives you that springboard to the rest of your professional career. And so that is something that is really popular. And I can tell you that if you're a newer grad and you would like to get involved with that, there are a lot of opportunities. So, for example, at the GUECO meeting, we were just in attendance. There was um, uh, a, an, a, a meeting on Saturday morning where we all met with students who were coming out of school, you know, second, third, fourth year students. And we need doctors of all ages and all backgrounds and all all the genres and all uh, eras, if you will, um, to 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 meet at the tables and engage with our future colleagues. So that's an immediate opportunity for younger docs to get involved. There are individual programs that are being sponsored at the state level um, by the state affiliates that occur in local areas. So I would encourage people to um, reach out if they're not aware of what those are and uh, talk to their state leadership executive directors and find out where these are happening and how they can help get engaged with some of the younger folks um, as well. So there are lots of opportunities that the AOA can provide. And I, you know, we can always um, get more information from the AOA or from any of us. Our emails are on the website as well. It's AOA.org. So as a as a newer graduate, as a as a newer doctor, there are opportunities for you to get engaged with those that are coming behind you. And I think um, uh, helping them to kind of see their way between that first year out and, and kind of help them land comfortably and know that you're out there as a person that they can email or text anytime if they have a question can be really helpful. And that can be powerful on the local level. It doesn't have to be at the national or the state level. So um, I think that would be a great place for for some of the younger folks to start. And there's one thing I wanted to add to, those are all fantastic opportunities for people who are looking to be more involved and do all these things. Um, And one thing I like to remind new grads is that, you know, 
if you are an AOSA member, you are automatically an AOA member, meaning through 2018, through the end of this year, you actually are still, you know, you're still a completely free member. It's that um, complimentary service. And of course, the reduced rate for those critical five years you mentioned. Um, And I just wanted to share something that really helped me Um, through the AOA website. You know, you can do all kinds of great career help and things. Um, I got my liability insurance through the website. um, And it's just at a really fantastic rate. I mean, there's so much that new grads or, you know, within the first few years out of school can really take advantage of and uh, really explore. So um, it's always a good That is a great resource. And I would, the only thing I can add to that is for anybody listening, if they could reach out to almost any optometrist that I can think of, if they had any questions about any of what we've just talked about, or even just, you know, reaching out to say, hi, I'm new in the area. And I don't know any of us in the optometry family that wouldn't go above and beyond to try and connect them with someone, have them for dinner, um, invite them to the practice, you know, trying to get uh, trying to get them uh, networked and, and more comfortable. So to your point, I think that's great. And it sounds like that first step really is kind of saying, I'm here and I'm ready. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for being here and for, I hope, um, inspiring everyone to sort of figure out where in their days they have time to pursue the things that can help them and can help the profession and can help the community. It sounds like you both have developed some ideas even in the time we've been talking. Dr. Grover and Dr. Zaleski, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you, Marjolyn, and thank you, Dr. Grover. This was a very enlightening and inspirational conversation. Oh, thanks to you both. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.